1: Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It is National Signing Day week in Happy Valley and across the country in college football. Strange to say that still. Year number three of the early signing period. A three-day span in December beginning this Wednesday, December 18th through Friday. Of course, there is the traditional National Signing Day, the first Wednesday in February, February. February 5th but boy oh boy does it look a lot different than it used to Sean this is the big show and Penn State's got a big day in front of them 27 commits and uh, we're expecting them to to put pen to paper and make this thing uh, finalized.
0: Yeah, this is the big one now. I mean, everybody used to look as the first Wednesday in February is the big uh, big day, but certainly not the case anymore. Penn State, basically, if you don't sign right now, you're probably not going to be committed. You're probably not going to be signing in February. Of course, Penn State, what they'll do is they'll reassess where they stand. They'll take the uh, the guys that are still out there in the board. And really, I mean, you just look at it. There's 27 guys. There's a lot of guys in one class. So there's not too much uh, room to work with, but they'll reassess their situation. They'll see if there's guys out there who maybe, maybe, who may be risers uh, following the new year. Always happens. But uh, right now, I mean, you, you got to look at this 27 and say, this is going to be your class and really can't count much more. I mean, you take a look at, if you run the numbers, Penn State's over the 85 scholarship limit for, for the start of next season. So you're going to have attrition no matter what. Um, but uh, until you get there I mean it's a pretty solid group maybe not the group they set out to sign but it's, uh, it, it's a it's pretty good group from from top to bottom
1: Sean Fitz Tyler Donahue with you recording on a Tuesday afternoon we're getting ready for signing day coverage at Lines 24-7 uh, we will be all in on Wednesday be sure to follow us throughout for, for uh, spotlights on some of these signees uh, we will be in the Penn State War Room as they're getting on the phone and, and Skyping uh, with players and their families and officially putting their names on the board as Penn State signees and We'll be in James Franklin's press conference uh, later on Wednesday afternoon, but we'll also get a chance to speak with recruiting coordinators. Uh, So a lot of information coming your way, Uh, but we're going to get to a a few particulars. You mentioned it being a big class, Sean, 27 commits. Uh, This would be, as it stands, the biggest recruiting class of James Franklin's time in Penn state. This is his seventh recruiting class, believe it or not, with the Penn State Nittany Lions. They signed 23 players in each of the past two classes, 21 in 2017, 20 in 2016, and 25 in 2015, 2014. So shaping up to be that big. He he had uh, hinted at it uh, being a, a massive class uh, and saying that it could go to 30 players. That was back in July at Big Ten Media Days in Chicago. As you said. As things stand now, the numbers don't necessarily suggest that. And as we spoke before we were recording, you know, a couple of years ago, all the moving parts, including Micah Parsons and, and Jahan Dotson and Jason Oway and Rashid Walker, you get to this, and and it's pretty drama free this time of year, considering uh, how else we've seen things shape up in mid December. That that's been the case,
0: and it's, there's really not much to look forward to on Wednesday. And I hate saying that, as especially as somebody that covers recruiting. But uh, this is one that uh, really came down uh, from top to bottom. I mean, you, you look at all the guys that 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 eventually will sign. Uh, this was a long cycle for Penn State, and you, you throw into everything that went into with the transfer portal last uh, last cycle the attrition that they had, the numbers they were able to throw out there. Didn't really see them getting to 30. I thought they might top out around 29. But of course, a couple of decommits in the last couple of weeks have, have, has brought that number back down. Of course, Theo Johnson committed, uh, we talked about him on the last episode, to put it at 27 and hopefully stick there. Uh, you know, it's this time of year, so anything can happen. But that, that that's what we're expecting on, on Wednesday. It's just, it, it's funny to follow because, you know, it's not the most talented class they've, sound, they, they've signed, but really you start at that 25 and you may in any given year, you may go a couple over a couple under. And when you laying, laying those out there the way that you did, I think the 21 was the lowest uh, in, in the last couple of uh, of cycles. It's, it's pretty much how it's going to be every year out. I think you got to start at 25, uh, take a couple more, take a couple less and go from there. You're going to have transfers. There's different rules in terms of how transfers count and, Uh, you know, initial counters and all that kind of stuff that, uh, that changes the way that you approach signing classes. It's not a situation where you're stashing guys that are academic casualties anymore. If you sign those guys, they count against you now. So that's, uh, that's certainly something to weigh into it. But uh, 27 guys, man,
1: no, no matter how you cut it, that's a lot. And it includes a couple of junior college players At Lackawanna, second straight year Signing a pair out of there and, and then 25 high school seniors Representing more than 10 states A couple countries And uh, yeah, they're all over the map in this class For sure And Sean, you mentioned um, You know, you mentioned the 27 players right now. That's a big total. It puts them at number eight in 24 seven sports, uh, rankings. That's going to change as, as things progress into Wednesday. Penn State is, is, you know, they're going to be sitting kind of idle in terms of, of gaining things, barring any surprises. There's going to be programs out there that'll add players, move up, but number eight right now. They signed the number three class in the 24 seven sports rankings last year. And then in 2018, uh, the number seven class. So as of right now, they're inside that top 10 don't know that they'll make it for a third straight year. I would say odds are against it based on what you expect uh, the other classes to do. Um you know, but but as you said, there with this class and I think you referenced it uh, in something you wrote on the site, there's going to be so, some some what if moments and 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 missing on guys here in the state, here in the region, five-star players who are going to go to teams that are competing for championships and competing against Penn State for playoff spots. But when you look at this group, Sean, 7D commits, the last two of them coming this month. Uh, and they have found landing spots. Just wanted to update that. Elijah Gaines, the defensive back, uh, has found the spot with the Virginia Cavaliers class. And then Devin Willock ends up with Georgia Bulldogs class. Sean, that was one that popped up this week. And I and I gotta say, it was a it was a program that was mentioned uh, you know, during his recruitment. Uh, but you know, for him to end up in Athens despite that injury and their offensive line coaching change, uh, that was a bit of a surprise to me at this stage. But that happens. Those guys have found their homes. But let's talk about the players who have found a home in Happy Valley, Sean. Uh, and when you uh, review this group, um, no one was committed before 2019. But there, it, it has been drama-free. I've had guys uh, you know, who are committed that have tried to take late, late visits that we know of. Maybe they have, and then it got squashed. But a lot of guys who have been sure things for a while – Sean the 27 guys though all committed in 2019 that's something that kind of bucks the trend you know you look at recent classes you know you have players committing before their junior years of high school but Pat Fryermouth Zach Koontz, uh, Justin Shorter was in that group, guys who committed quite early. And now we're seeing, you know, most of these guys came on board toward the tail end of, of their junior season or of their uh, junior year into the summer and, and some more in the fall. So it's not one of those groups that there's a long history with. Sometimes it feels like it's a much longer march to the finish line for these guys.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, if you think about it, uh, a year ago at this time, Penn State had Grant Tutant committed. He's, of course, going to sign with Ohio State on Wednesday. So, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty interesting to, to track what happened in the class of 2020. You mentioned those 7D commitments, and you don't want to stick on them, but I'll stick on them for a second. I mean, you got Derek Wingo is a guy that committed on Christmas last year, seemed to be all in for a while, and then just kind of faded away. He's going to sign with Florida. Uh, Aaron Parks and Josh Moten, the two from National Christian, both of them seem to uh, re- fairly early commits in the class, Moten more so than Parks. And then, of course, they uh, turn around and I believe it was late spring, early summer, and now, of course, they're going to sign the Big 12 and, and the SEC with Oklahoma and, and Texas A&M. So, I mean, it's just, uh, it's crazy how this happens these days. Um, it, it's part of the game. It's interesting the way that Penn State handled it. And I'll say that uh, on one side because it did, there wasn't much drama coming down the wire. And a lot of that was due to R.J. Adams and the way that R.J. Adams handled his recruitment. And I think that's a shot across the bow of those recruits. You saw him take an official visit to Kentucky and for you know for all intents and purposes was just cut loose by Penn State now he's set to commit i don't know if he we're recording on tuesday afternoon he's set to commit and i believe he's going to end up at kentucky but man that, that that's quite a fall because he was Sort of lingering out there for a long time. I think it came down to Kentucky and NC State. So you know, not not to trash any other programs, but if you're going from Penn State to to Kentucky and NC State, obviously there was a turn that you didn't you missed along the way. So uh, interesting uh, development there. On the flip side, you've got a guy like Devin Willock, who Penn State kind of took a chance on uh, late. I guess early in his uh, or late in the summer, early in his senior season, uh, took a chance on him you know, he's got some tools. He's got some, some nice feet for being as big as he is. Then he gets that injury. And then all of a sudden Georgia gives him the go ahead. Well, going back to the summer where you thought about where, where Devin Willick would end up, you know, he seemed all in on Penn state, but at the same time, he took a visit to Georgia just beforehand. They didn't have a spot for him at that point. Then there's some coaching changes. All of a sudden he turns around and flips it. I mean, that's, uh, that's about as, you know that's about as much drama as you got going down the stretch. So uh, it's just really interesting how this class made up. It seemed like it would, you know, take one step forward, maybe two steps back. You had guys like Brian Bressy and Julian Fleming, who were the top two pri- players in the twenty four seven sports composite rankings. Bressy even said himself he thought he was coming to Penn State at one point. That didn't happen. Fleming, I guess, was earmarked. Uh, to two penn state from the start and that didn't happen. So it's just a long a long, long cycle for James Franklin. It just felt like, you know, no matter what they you know, what no matter how much they tried to scratch and claw and press their way through it, uh, that nine and four season that lost to Kentucky last year really put them uh, you know, it's just sort of spinning their wheels. And then you throw the transfer portal stuff on top of it. Not a lot of good vibes and, and good juice coming out of Happy Valley. But for them to turn that around the way that they have Excuse me, and I'm kind of rambling here, but they, they've gotten to 27 and really have, you know, sort of had to turn some guys away at some point because they've just, you know, this is this is a quick turnaround job. The culture, as you mentioned in the past, seems very strong. And now all of a sudden you can't take as many guys as you want because you have maybe more guys coming back on the roster. And I think that's a good thing. So the it, it's a, it's been a long cycle. It's been a roller coaster. But I think Penn State is certainly ending on the right way, especially picking up Theo Johnson, their top target last week.
1: And we'll find out what kind of offseason momentum they can carry, you know, next Saturday when when they exit the field in a game against Memphis. I know it's not a sexy matchup, and, and, and folks out there, a lot of you are hoping that it was going to be the Rose Bowl or maybe more of a marquee opponent. But an 11 win season, that, that'll get you far. It'll get you a top 10 finish, and uh, it'll give Franklin more ammo on the recruiting trail. And comparatively to last year, as Sean, you just laid out, uh, you know, different ballgame when you start to get to work with this 2021 class, uh, you know, w- with more urgency. So, uh, with this 2020 group, let's take a look at some positions. We've gone over a lot of these guys on past episodes of the podcast, but, uh, to, as a refresher and for some of you who maybe aren't necessarily tuned into recruiting until we get to this stage. Although if you're listening to this show, you probably do enjoy some recruiting talk. Quarterback Micah Bowens, Sean, he is a guy who followed the footsteps of Tate Martell, Dorian Thompson Robinson, two guys who went on to play uh, power five level at the quarterback position. Martell, obviously now Miami at wide receiver. Uh, but those two guys had a lot of success during their time at Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. It's a powerhouse program that, you know, takes that national approach and, and they'll, they'll get on planes and they'll schedule guys across the country and they'll welcome teams in. And, you know, with that kind of spotlight, you know that Michael Bowens is a guy who's used to the attention and, and knows uh you know what it takes to lead a locker room with a lot of top talent because Bishop Gorman churns it out uh you know this is a kid though that that's going to come in with with less fanfare than we've seen from from past quarterbacks uh and, and when you look at past Bishop Gorman quarterbacks He's ranked, you know, around number 25 in dual threat quarterbacks in the 24-7 sports rankings, but heck of a high school career for Micah Bowens, uh, a guy who ended up with, with almost 8,000, uh, total yards And I'm sure, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 7,000 total yards. Don't want to give him too much credit. Uh, and then 85 total touchdowns during his career at Bishop Gorman, Sean. So the numbers are there. He's not going to wow you with his, uh, you know, his physical, uh, st- status, uh, but, um, you know, he's somebody that I think you get here. You, you put him to work behind the scenes. You see what we've got because, you know, beyond Will Levis, a, a bunch of unknown commodities in that quarterback room uh, when you talk about who is going to be competing behind Sean Clifford on the depth chart uh, moving toward 2020.
0: Yeah, this is one that I'm kind of conflicted on, Penn State. Uh, you know, as well as they've recruited across the board, that's always been the hang-up has been quarterback recruiting. And right now, I don't know how much further Micah Bowens will take that argument. I mean, he's about five eleven and a half. 195. Now, you know, he's won. He plays at a a, a very, very strong uh, high school program. He's won there. He started there. He's been productive there. He is athletic. He's got a four or five documented time uh, at a a Nike opening at some point. So uh, the athletic tools are there. Is he big enough? Is he strong enough? Uh, We saw him at camp over the summer and certainly uh, you know, we're not blown away by his performance. So curious to see how his uh, development goes. I mean, you've got guys in that room that, uh, you know, that are all different shapes and sizes. Of course, Will Levis is the big guy and, and Clifford's the, you know, the constant guy. Um, Taquan Roberson's not a very big guy. Bowens is smaller than all of them. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see how that development's going to go. But, you know, you're going to take a chance on a guy from across the country, from one of the winningest programs in the country. Uh, we'll see where it goes from there uh i like i said before and i and i feel like i'm kind of knocking the kid but uh he's not scaring anybody off in the 2021 class and that's certainly a spot that you want to you know recruit hard in that next cycle
1: and so they will have three quarterbacks roberson johnson uh, Bowens, all these guys that we don't know much about in terms of what they can do on a college football field. They'll head into 2020. It'll be interesting to see as that number three job, which has been sustained throughout the 2019 season, it adds another member. It's going to add a new coach soon. Uh, Penn State looking for a quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator. We'll mention that a little bit later here in the show. Uh, but sticking on the recruiting trail, Sean, at running back, Another really impressive class for J1 Sider and the Nittany Lions. Uh, both of the players coming out of Florida, Kivon Lee, Kaziah Holmes. And let's start with Holmes because you mentioned him in, in your superlatives piece for this class that's up on the site right now on Lines 24-7. Uh, you mentioned his speed, and, and that's the name of his game. He's a guy who was on with us on the podcast before his senior season, discussed having to play uh, – well. Being tasked with playing defensive back early in his high school career, kind of falling out of love for the sport, then moving to quarterback and ultimately running back and really finding a renewed passion for the game. And it, it, it has led to big things. A lot of power five offers he had about 1500 yards on the ground this year, more than eight yards per carry. Uh, he's a guy who can get it done as a receiver as well. I think out of the backfield. And uh, he's considered one of the top five, all purpose backs in 24, seven sports rankings.
0: There's guys throughout this process that the more film that you watch on them, or the more updates you get on them, the more you like them. And, and Kaziah Holmes is one of those guys for me. I uh, wasn't really sure how to feel about him. You know, he, he kind of, it was kind of one of those guys that was, his numbers were all over the place as a junior. You mentioned he did play some wildcat quarterback. He's all over the place. Um, but, you know, as a senior, you throw that tape in and he puts that foot in the ground and he goes. And I think, you know, he's, you know, I'm not sure where he fits in because this running back room is, is quite an enigma right now going into the 2020 season. Cause there's, you know, right now there's going to be six of them. Um, but at the same time, I think he's a, a guy that would typically have early impact uh, capabilities and can play on special teams, can do a lot of things. So big fan of Kaziah Holmes, even though I'm not quite sure where he fits on the roster right away. I think he'd be a productive guy at Penn State. I think he could fit a couple of different roles for them. Of course, you've got Kevon Lee in that running back class as well. Naturally a bigger guy, uh, pretty good athlete for, you know, I think he's right around 225, 230 right now. So a different style back, uh, not only than, than Holmes, but a lot of what they have on the roster. So be interesting to see how he follows Noah Kane. Uh, I don't know that he has the instant impact. I I don't know that he's got the the burst that some of those other guys have, but at the same time, you know we've seen that that Noah Cain can be very productive. Uh, excuse me, very productive in an offense like this. Kevon Lee, I think, can do the same, and that's another couple four stars from Florida. Man, Jaywon Sider's earning his keep.
1: And this, I'm going to ask you this question, and people are going to ask us this question over and over and over again until next September. What is that running back rotation going to look like next year? I mean, it is it is hard to figure out. Ricky Slade seems to. Seems to be insinuating he's sticking around, and, and I know some people thought maybe he would end up exploring transfer portal opportunities as he went from the starter to to you know third or fourth guy in that depth chart when Kane was healthy, and we know what Kane did when he was right, when he was rolling before the injury, and the way Journey Brown finished, you know, good luck getting the job away from him, and, and we're both on record about Devin Four being an exciting prospect. So <laughs> J One Sider's job, while it gets easier in terms of the talent he has, doesn't get much easier in terms of trying to figure out how to utilize it. And that's going to be a new offensive coordinator's task as well.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it with the last point. You're not sure how the new guy is going to use his his running backs. Maybe that's a couple of different two back sets. Maybe that's something completely different. Who knows? But Penn State's got plenty of options. And the way that Journey Brown played down the stretch, I mean, you got to be feeling good about that room, no doubt about it. But you know, at the same time, you know what it was like to balance four carries. Now you're throwing a couple other guys in there. Really excited to see what Devin Ford can do with a full off season because you know I think just physical development is kind of what it held him back from those other guys. Ricky Slade can bounce back. He looked as good as he looked uh, all year in the season finale. So I it, it, it's such a weird dynamic because you don't go in there, you don't recruit, or you don't recruit running backs to redshirt him. and that's the way Penn State's gone about it in the last couple of years. Um, it's, it, it's a fan, a fascinating dynamic, uh, cause there's a lot of talent in that room. And, you know, it's, it's going to be one of those positions where you're looking down in a couple of years and, you know, you see some guys go to the portal that still have some pretty good talent.
1: And meanwhile, wide receiver, that's a spot that it, there's question marks in a very different nature heading into the 2020 year. And, and these freshmen figured to be factors in that room, at least a couple of them, uh, you're bringing in a, a Juco prospect. You know, you always hear you don't bring junior college players in to really sit them, but Norval Black will have three years to participate in two seasons, Uh, Malik Mega, who is, you know, one of those classic raw high ceiling talents. And uh, I don't know if there's much classic about a a six foot four kid who runs a four, four something, 40 yard dash, a very unique prospect. And then Jaden Dotton was one of their earlier targets at wide receiver in this cycle, a guy who uh, I think he ended up falling a bit in the final 24, seven sports rankings. And the two guys that stand out to me, uh, and, and we've kind of gone over this and hammered the point home about potential instant impact players in the entire class. I think two of them atop this wide receiver group, Parker Washington at a Fort Bend Travis High School in Texas, and then Keandre Lambert out of Norfolk, Virginia. Um, wouldn't surprise me if either one of those players ends up logging some starts as a true freshman.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's it's Washington and Lambert at the top of this wide receiver group. I think Washington looks ready to come in right away. Of course, he's not a January kid, so that may have, uh, it might affect some things going into next summer. Uh, but Keandre, Keandre Lambert's going to be here. He's a fantastic football player, man. He's He tests really well. And on top of that, he's a good offensive player, a good defensive player at the high school level. Just won a state championship for Mario over, over the weekend. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see what Keandre Lambert can do. He's got a 3-8-3 shuttle on the on the, uh, on the books right now, which is as good as they've seen, or as good as they brought in at the high school level. So really quick, really fast. Um, both Guys, I think could be inside-out guys. Parker Washington. I think people forget that he's, you know, he's over 200 pounds at, at 5'10. I mean, he's a pretty stout type of guy. um it, Maybe I, I don't know where the comparisons would fall to a to a guy like Bill Belton that was brought in as a receiver and eventually was a running back. But he's got a running back style body, and on top of that, he makes some some terrific catches first team All-State 6A uh, in Texas is something to hang your hat on. And Parker Washington was that. So I have those guys at the top, the two at the at the bottom, as far as long-term developmental guys, Jaden Dotton and Malik Mega. And I say the bottom and I just kind of uh, how I'm labeling these guys in a, in a hierarchy in terms of development. Um, but those guys are both uh, long, uh, rangy athletes. Uh, Mega's very fast. Uh, Dotton is very quick. So we'll see how those guys develop over the next couple of years, and then Norval Blacks, sort of right in the middle. You mentioned you don't bring in JUCO guys to redshirt, but this is a guy that's still 173 pounds. Um, you know, after his second year at uh, at Lackawanna, so he's going to need to get bigger. I don't think there's any question about it. I, I, he's explosive. Um, he's quick. He, he does some really nice things in the football field. But as we saw with guys like jo- Jaquan Brisker and Anthony Wigan this year, it's a big jump up from that JUCO uh, that JUCO level all the way up to the Big Ten.
1: I believe Steve Wiltfong, director of uh, recruiting for 24-7 Sports, uh, had mentioned when he was talking about uh, what he liked about Parker Washington, saying he kind of does turn into a power back. When he gets possession of that football, I mean, he's, he's a smooth wide receiver out there, but you know, there's guys will try to dance around guys will look toward the sideline um, at, at receiver. And he's not one of them. And by the way, Keandre Lambert, a, a, a very willing blocker at the high school level. You'll watch his film uh, and a guy who has played defensive back and, you know, and, and played with some physicality. So not someone who's really going to, to glance away from that aspect of competition uh, and, and speaking of pass targets you know you factor in the tight ends here and We talked about them a lot last week, Sean. So I don't want to dive too into it, but Theo Johnson was considered one of the best in the country at his position. His recruitment reflected that the attention was warranted and, and, you know, he's going to be in line, in my opinion, to come and really push Zach Coons, Brendan Strange to take over as that primary number two tight end, uh, behind Pat Fryermuth in 2020. And then Tyler Warren, who you referred to in your superlatives as the mystery man. and, And that's what I've been calling him. And, uh, you know, you call him the mystery man. You call Theo Johnson. The high ceiling guy of the class, and you throw those two to Tyler Bowen and what he's already got working in the tight end room, and you know it's it's a compelling part of this roster. There's no doubt about it. Both
0: six five and a half, two thirty five, two forty in there. Both can run. Both uh, pretty good high school athletic uh, athletes in their own right. So really interested to see how the development goes. Warren is a complete mystery. I put up his highlights, uh, his basketball highlights. Online twenty four seven. Earlier today, you get a look at what uh, he brings to the table as an athlete because you know you see close to six, six, 235, tight end. Uh, you know you kind of think big white stiff, but if you go out and you look at his basketball highlights, you know he's he's a guy and he's not Mike Gasicki, but he's a guy that makes some Gasicki like plays on the basketball court. He's also a good baseball player, so uh, you, you have to like what he brings to the table. Like I said, I'm not sure where he's at in three or four years, but if he were ahead of Johnson at that point, it, it wouldn't be. A complete surprise. That said, Theo Johnson's ranked where he's ranked for a reason. There's a reason Penn State wanted him so bad down down the stretch. I do think he has among the highest ceiling in in this class. I think he can be a a first-round pick eventually if he continues to develop. He's got the athletic skills. um, uh, He's just learning how to work, and I think that's sort of what can go into, uh, you know, when you're evaluating these guys, sometimes you don't realize how much they get done behind the scenes. It sort of clicked for him about a year ago, and this after uh, Penn State had offered and some of the other schools started coming through, just how good he can can be And now he's starting to, to realize that. So really excited about this tight end class. And, you know, it's kind of funny because you you don't want to say you never really want to say that the tight end group is the best group on the offense. But when you have two guys like this, I think it's it, it warrants consideration. Because uh, usually when you say that about that, that point in the offense, you're going to start talking about, well, the, the receivers aren't there, the offensive line isn't there, the quarterbacks or whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's a really great group of tight ends. Tyler Bowen has shown He uh, shown he can do a heck of a job with guys like Pat Frymith Excited to see how Zach Kuntz and Brenton Strange, um, you know, develop into the spring, especially with Nick Bauer's gone. But uh, it's going to be fun to watch because whoever they throw out there, it's it's one of those things where you, you kind of have trust in whoever they throw out there. Um, they're going to be productive, and I think the, there's a good couple of years in, in the uh, uh, in the pipeline for this at this tight end position. And that's of course uh, Nick Elksness is is committed out of Florida in the 2021 class as well.
1: Yeah, do you suppose James Franklin uh, wants to find an offensive coordinator who values the tight end position with, with this search? Because they certainly are stacked in that spot right now. Um, at offensive line, this was—I mean, you want to talk about the roller coaster ride of this class in general? Offensive line was really at the center of it uh, in a lot of instances. You mentioned R.J. Adams, uh, Grant Tutan. <clears throat> Aaron Parks, all these members at one point, no longer. But they do get to the finish line here uh, with a solid collection. They don't have anybody who's ranked as highly as Rashid Walker was or Anana Sadu a couple years ago or Caden Wallace last year. But uh, it's a collective group where, you know, I think they did a nice job addressing tackle. <clears throat> Adding Jimmy christ uh, late in the process in November, a guy who was committed to Virginia, I think that was important. Keeping Olu Fashano, you know, a guy who committed in June, didn't hear much beyond that, keeping him on board. And then I think Ibrahim Traore, getting to see him in person, in camp, and knowing the effort he put in to get to that last prospect camp, getting a couple different buses from New York City to get there, earn his offer. Uh, He's somebody that, that really stands out to me, you know who committed in mid-September where, you know, down the line really turns into a, to an impressive perimeter offensive lineman, maybe someone who was a little overlooked, and that happens when you talk about a, a setting like New York City at times. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, Sean, <clears throat> this tackle class got a lot better after the season started because uh, they lost some pieces in, in in the summer. They were able to pick up Traore, able to pick up Chris over the course of the season, and I think those were two very important pickups.
0: They had nine offensive linemen committed during this <laughs> cycle. That's insane to think about. And they ended; they're going to end up with three tackles and two guards, which is about what we set out. You know, you want to take as many tackles as possible, but you know, you've got true tackles in in Jimmy Christ and Olufashanu. I think uh, Ibrahim Traore can fit that well. He's got tremendous length out there, uh, very strong kid as well. And then in the in- interior, you've got uh, Golden Israel Ochumba and Nick Dawkins, who's kind of one of the centerpiece leaders of this group. So. Be really interested to see how uh, how they develop. Chris is the only one under 300 pounds right now. So uh, not sure how I feel about that. I mean, if you listen, you know I'm a bigger fan of building these guys up. But at the same time, I mean, th- th- these guys have already done a lot of the work. I mean, uh, Golden Achumba was 370 pounds at one point. He's under 320 right now. Olufoshanu was up to 340, 345. He's under 310 right now. So uh, be really interesting to see how these guys go. Uh, I think the sleeper of this group, and he's a high three, you know, he's kind of a borderline four-star anyway but Olufashanu, I think can be really good I think he's uh you know he's a productive high school offensive lineman excuse me second team all met this season um but he's he's such a big big guy he, he's so hard to get around six five and a half maybe six five and three quarters um but yeah he's uh he, he's got a lot of potential I know a lot of coaches down in that area like what he brings to the table so they've got some 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 big just massive guys in this class so really interested to see how this uh production in the last or excuse me projects in the next couple of years. Of course, they had Devin Willick, who was bigger than anybody. But at the same time, you're replenishing those numbers. You end up with five. were maybe thinking about taking six at one point. But you've got a bunch of guys that can play tackle. Uh, Just sort of uh, replenish those ranks. We saw last year, I think, that uh, what Sal Wormley was the only guy uh, on scholarship on the scout team. So now you're going to get a chance to get those guys some scout team reps. Maybe get back to a little bit more of a normal cycle on the offensive line and see what you have in a couple of years
1: shed a little bit more light on one of those interior offensive linemen with Nick Dawkins, who, who's been very good to us here on the show, join us for a couple of different interviews and hopefully got a chance to listen to those. If you've been tuned in for a while here on the podcast, but uh, he's a guy, you mentioned it, he's got those leadership abilities and that's not an easy thing to do when, when you're talking about, you know, 27 guys from all across the country, a couple from Canada, you know, you, you gotta be a pretty assertive to, to, to get people to view you in that kind of light. And I think he's done a nice job of that. You know, I, I, I don't necessarily, uh, you know, so... Oh. I don't necessarily know what his uh, career will look like to start but I think in terms of someone who made a lot of steps forward as a senior I think when you view what he did this year at Parkland in Allentown uh, Pennsylvania really showed a lot and and has reflected in the rankings he's uh, up to number 22 in in the guard spot uh and when you look at 24-7 sports and how they evaluate that position that's a, a significant rise from where he was and he's done a nice job on his body as well not to the extreme that that, that you've seen from from a guy like uh Achumba that you mentioned but but, you know he's somebody that that continues to grow. His father is an NBA star back in the day, Daryl Dawkins. So you love the the pedigree there, athletically, and I think you know he's certainly someone that again. A lot of three stars here. You like the chances for at least two, three of them uh, to, to, to maybe go above that pay grade. And if they don't, then, then maybe you're looking at some issues on the offensive line uh, down the road here. But you know, I, I think they do have a, a solid assemblage, and it's not going to be uh, one that gets a lot of attention at the national level in terms of what offensive line classes are going where to different campuses. Uh, you know, But you bring in some volume there, and you're facing a situation next season uh, where you don't need to force anybody to get on the field or really in the in in a lot of spots in the too deep initially because of what they've been able to bring back what we think they're going to bring back in 2020 we're going to turn attention towards the defensive side of this recruiting class but first a quick word from our sponsor okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road bringing it back to the 2020 Penn State recruiting class. We'll take our breakdown of the defensive side of the football, go across the trenches, and look at the defensive line group. And, uh, Sean, I think, you know, not to the level of the offensive line where we said it's a lot of three stars, high three stars. Um, you know, you're not looking here at, at, at PJ Mustafer, Jason Away, kind of ranking reflected for any of these guys. But for me, the conversation starts uh, with the defensive tackle out of Indianapolis, Cole Brevard, um, just <laughs> – He's someone who played for a team that was a major contender there in Indiana, and he got looked like double, triple team just about every rep of his upperclassman career. I like the way this kid is built. You saw him on the camp, uh, on the on the field for for Penn State back in uh in July. I don't think he participated, but just standing there, he looked like he was already like in his third year with the program. And when you see that from an interior defensive line, where it looks like the pieces are put together in a lot of ways uh, he's someone that I think that could come in and make an impact but at defensive tackle we already know that this current freshman class a lot of guys are going to be hunting down hunting down reps next year. Well, they're throwing numbers at the defensive line, and I think that's the way to go about it. Now, they're they're kind of all over
0: the place in this class because you've got uh, a guy like Brevard who's maybe just more of a typical one technique. I don't think he's uh, tremendously explosive. He's not going to be the pass rusher that you're really looking to, but I think he can be a productive member of this team and and really help them out. Uh, I think he could definitely be a starter. Um, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of defensive tackles in this class, and that's... Uh, uh, and they're they're not all ready to go right now, and I don't think you would expect that anyway, especially based on what we've seen the last couple of years. But you've got Brevard. We we have uh, Kaziah Izzard who you know uh, was a defensive end for for the longest time. I mean his body. I mean he's two hundred. He's in the two eighties right now. So uh, he, I'm, I'm sorry to Kaziah, but he's not going back to play end anymore. Uh, Amin Vanover, may be a guy like a Hakeem Beeman that starts out at defensive end. Eventually, you know he blows up his you know his body's going to move him down the line. Um, then you got Fatour. Amoba, this is a really interesting guy because I just you, you, every time you look at him, I mean, he's built like a you know a brick house, if you will. Um, and he's just a, a strong kid, 16 reps of 225 at camp last year, uh, just raw as can be. But at the same time, I mean, he's got a lot of the tools that you're looking for athletically that you can pull in and, and uh, you know, make a productive Big Ten player. So, uh, I'm, I'm looking across the board, and, and there's reasons to be excited about all these guys. But Mulba is just the most intriguing to me uh, going from top to bottom because, you know, he's, he, he doesn't have that shine. I mean, it's going to take a lot from Sean Spencer to get him where he needs to be. But I think when he gets there, he's got length. He's got uh, explosion. He's got a lot going for him, and he's still learning how to play the game. Mulba is one of those guys, those sleeper guys that you can, you know, throw into the mix. And a couple of years from now, you can say, man, how, how wasn't this guy ranked higher?
1: He was And he has credited Jordan Hill, former Penn State defensive lineman, uh, as being a mentor to him, helping refine his technique and and really understanding what it took to become a power five level prospect. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, just look at this February, Sean, he didn't have an offer. I, I don't know how many players in this class you can say that about. He probably is the only guy when you think February 2019, zero FBS offers. Penn State ended up being his ninth offer. He, he moved pretty quickly on that. And, and you wonder if he had held out and, 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 traction had continued to grow if, if the Nittany Lions would have faced more considerable, uh, you know, competition for him. But, you know, finished second this season, um, in, in sacks in the mid-pen. He, he's a guy that I think when you, when you say who can maybe provide some of that push in the interior, get into the pocket, he's the guy who probably stands out to me a bit in that defensive tackle group.
0: I don't know if it's for, uh, because of where he's from in central Pennsylvania, but kind of reminds me, you don't know this guy, but Abe Coroma um, in the last decade. Uh, just kind of uh, a really strong kid, a really hold him up type, but also has got some twitch to him. So I'm excited to see how he goes. Another guy you can probably throw into that mix. Brandon Taylor is a high school defensive end. Um, I think he's a guy that maybe still projects as a defensive tackle. It could be uh, a situation like Vanover, where he starts his career at defensive end, and eventually, when the weight does come on, he moves down to defensive tackle. Um, You know, they they like what they see from him as well. Um, If you're looking at this class and trying to to find holes, and there's certainly holes in this class. uh, Defensive end is a spot where they tried to get Sean Martin late. They tried to get on a couple of guys um, throughout the process. and really never quite popped the way that you got an Adisa Isaac or a Jason Owe, uh somebody that's a pure pass rusher. Bryce Mustella is every bit the enigma that his – uh, his commitment video would imply, 6'6", um, six, six, we haven't listed as 6'7", he's probably about 6'6", six, six, 235, very long, very flexible, very athletic, a long way to go in terms of putting it together on the football side of things. Zariah Fisher, maybe your, your best defensive lineman just based off of high school tape, he's probably going to start out at linebacker and move down to defensive end. So there's really not that guy in this class at defensive end, and we know that's such a vital position, such a, a premium position in the college football game. Really defensive end, uh, I don't want to say it fell short because there are some intriguing options there, but it, it, it's really a spot where you're looking at where Penn State maybe tries to address in January, goes after a guy here or there in January. I think defensive ends that spot.
1: And it's tricky because there's not like a major separation between one guy and the rest of the guys at the position in this class. You know, again, kind of like the offensive line to me, it's a cluster of, you know, guys who are maybe low four stars, high three stars. When you look at the the, the evaluations and, you, you know, you wonder who's going to come to campus and break out. Um, you know, There's not a lot of guys that that you're looking at and saying, you know, he's going to come and he's going to push right away as a freshman. We know that's very difficult to do on the defensive line, particularly at defensive tackle. The only player, you know, who's put himself in a position to burn that red shirt as a true freshman uh, under Sean Spencer at Penn State uh, was P.J. Mustafa, Very special talent, top five defensive tackle prospect coming in. You saw Adiza Isaac get worked in, but I, I think he's at a different tier, as you said. And, you know, <laughs> I'm very curious about a lot of things uh, with Bryce Mustella uh, mentally, physically. I-, I look forward to speaking with this kid. Hopefully, we can get him on the podcast uh, before he gets to campus. If not, we'll be waiting a while to get in touch with him. But uh, yeah, uh, with that size and uh, he- he- certainly an interesting player to say the least. And I will say, Amin Vanover, another kid coming from Saint Joe's Regional in Montville, New Jersey, that just is going to look like a. Uh, you know, a 21 year old, the as he steps foot on campus. This is a big dude. Um, and, and he's another one of those players that, you know, I think, I think Sean Spencer will have fun with. I say this, I feel like every cycle, but he's going to let his imagination run with some of these guys because of how they're physically structured when they first get here.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be part of this roster building process. Is they threw a lot of numbers at the at those positions, but now where do you go? I mean, taking five defensive tackles, if it comes to that, that's a lot of defensive tackles. Uh, so we'll see what happens in the next couple of uh, next couple of uh, of seasons. Vanover is a guy that we have him listed as a as a strong side defensive end. He's 265 pounds right now. I mean, it just goes back to to nature and logic and things like that. I don't think he's going to stay at defensive end. And you know, to be frank, I mean, he's not the the. Tw- Switchiest guy out there. In the end, uh, Smith Vilbert, who was a teammate of his at St. Joseph Regional, a little uh, more athletic, a little bit more uh, of a pass rushing profile out there on the edge. Vanover to me can be a successful defensive tackle. He um, can be that guy, and he's—I mean—that that—that's some legit size to throw in there at 6'4". Penn State's been missing that at times in the last couple of years. So excited to see how I mean Vanover goes, um, where these guys end up. This is probably the group that. Um, you know, it's it's toughest to forecast because I think there's a lot of potential in that defensive line class, but man, that's a lot of scholarships to throw
1: at, at one particular group. And uh, Zariah Fisher, as you said, linebacker, edge rusher to me out of this entire class, he's the one that you think this this guy... To me, I think he he could do the most damage off the edge out of this group. But again, we're not sure if he's going to start out in that linebacker room. As of right now, they'll have a couple of blue chips coming in at linebacker. Curtis Jacobs tops the, the list of all players in this group. He's right on the borderline of five-star status when you look at 24-7 sports rankings at this stage. And and you've said it time and time again. You've written it again in the superlatives. Uh, best player on the field. Doesn't matter where he's lined up. And and, and I am inclined to agree with you. And I think Tyler Elsden, um, a, a guy who, you know, Kind of snuck in under the radar a little bit with his commitment this summer when when the class was going through a bunch of changes and he's he's a Pennsylvania kid grew up in a Penn State uh, supportive community and he he got a four star bump this season he's someone who uh, I think you know could you know for people who don't have their finger on the pulse of recruiting they may look back two years ago and say where did this Tyler Elsden kid come from and we'll have to remind him that he was actually a four star prospect and look at twenty four seven sports evaluation.
0: Close to a 4.0 GPA as well. Elsdon will be a fan favorite of a lot of Penn State fans. Uh, You can throw every cliche out there that you want, (laughs) um, but that's what's going to happen. He's also going to be a guy at some point during his career, he's going to grow a mustache and he's going to be a cult figure. So I don't want to heap those expectations on him too early. But he can also play football. He's one of those two two way guys, and Penn State have really gotten away from recruiting some guys like this. Uh, you know, we, we say Penn State doesn't want to recruit typical just middle linebacker types, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, they they find themselves struggling at that position. Well, Elson can also play on the outside. He's very uh, he, he's he's a lot quicker than than he looks. I mean, I don't think that he's going to burn anybody in, in a forty or anything like that. But I mean, this is a kid that ran a four one shuttle at, at camp last year. So uh, he can move laterally more than you would think, uh, finish his place. He's also a high school running back, which we've seen um, in the, uh, I guess, the research to the NFL draft. You want your linebackers playing running back. You want them playing all, all over the place. Uh, this this group to me the linebacker group is is my spot on defense. I love what they did here. Of course, I'm a huge fan of Curtis Jacobs and, and Tyler Elston. You now they did lose Derek Wingo, but Tyler Elston's probably a better high school linebacker than than Derek Wingo, who's more of a uh, probably a three four pass rushing type guy. I think he'd be very productive at Florida, but you've got different kind of players in there, and sometimes you need a guy like Tyler Elston to to sort of solidify that linebacker group.
1: During the last two seasons, we saw three true freshman linebackers burn their red shirt for Penn State Micah Parsons, Jesse Lucetta in 2018, and then this fall, Brandon Smith. And And for a while, it looked like Lance Dixon was on that track. He was greenlit coming out of preseason camp, uh, decided not to, not to burn a year of eligibility for him. Uh, but it's a spot where we have seen, uh, players come in and, and if they adjust accordingly, uh, Brent Pry has found spots for them on the football field. In the defensive backfield, um, for me, I got to start with Joseph Johnson because again, I, I keep referencing the, the time, you know, getting to see him in camp earlier and just that length is, is just so rare. And, and I, I'm sure you saw it on social media where he's doing the incredible leap. You match that leaping ability, that athleticism with this kid's frame. I, I mean, he is long-limbed. I don't think he's quite on Joey Porter Jr.'s level in terms of those arms, but he may be darn close, and, and I, there's just a lot to like about this kid. I am stunned he is still a three-star in composite rankings. I know he's a four-star in 24-7 sports, and he's somebody, when we look at how the cornerbacks were used here in 2019 Three true freshmen saw significant time. Two of them, Keaton Ellis and, and and Marquise Wilson, burning their red shirts by the end of the season. Uh, I'd like his chances to come in and make an impression.
0: Yeah, I do too, and I think they can play him, and they have some flexibility with what they're doing right now. Of course, if you get Tariq Castro fields back, it, you know it changes some things. Donovan Johnson's injury, of course, uh, you know something huge for that cornerback room as well. But uh, yeah, Joseph Johnson's a different kind of corner. I mean, he's a new age corner. He's the one that that, that these scouts and these coaches love. He's got uh, he's close to six two. Got those long arms can run um, you know I think he's got some things to work on um, in terms of uh, finer points of the position but yeah I think he's got a lot of potential he's also a January guy I could see him playing right away next year so uh, really interested to see I, I we mentioned uh, maybe a hole at defensive end you you'd have liked to add another corner there maybe you get some flexibility with a guy like Enzo Jennings or something like that maybe can play some corner um, but uh, yeah Joseph Johnson uh, to, to be frank to be frank I mean I think we're We're both kind of uh, surprised that he's still in the class based on how the first half of his recruitment went. But at the end of the day, they're pretty happy to have him. And I'm, I'm curious to see and excited to see how he develops because physically he's really got everything you need.
1: That was a big win for Penn State to get him on board in this class when they did. And it's been even bigger for them not to, you know, that the door has not been open for him exploring other options. Him, his his family, they all have seemed on board with the Nittany Lions since that commitment came through. Um, and, and as you said, it was a really tough one to navigate through in terms of his recruitment and, and where it may end up for a while. Um, in, in terms of the safety spot, stop me if you heard this before. They're bringing in uh, an All-American from the junior college ranks from Lackawanna College.
0: Yep, Jair Brown, a guy that earned an offer at camp this year. Was a first-team All-American in the junior college ranks. Um, You know, uh, close to six foot, two oh five. He ran well at camp. uh, Really performed very well. They they allow JUCOs to come in and compete now, and you know he really showed that. You know, not only that that he was physical enough, but he was a couple uh, years older than some of those guys, and really more than held his own. Had a really good day at camp. They offered him, had, you know, bookended that with a great uh, a great season uh, in in 2019. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it's funny because. You know, high on Jair Brown as an athlete, as a as a player, I think he could definitely run. He's got some size to him, but uh, I do I do think Jaquan Brisker was a better uh, prospect coming out. We saw what kind of impact uh, Jaquan Brisker had on the team this year. Probably not as much as we thought it was going to be coming into the season. So. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Brown's, uh, you know, he's got a a nose for the football. He's, you know, he's been around. He's had, he had some picks. He can also, um, you know, when he can stay healthy, he can, he can make some tackles. So curious to see where this one goes in the next couple of of seasons. As you mentioned, uh, Norval Black has a red shirt year. Jair Brown also has a red shirt year, but both of these guys will still be on campus at Lackawanna in the spring, which I think, you know, may stifle their development where they stand right now
1: safety is a spot where they're going to lose at least one starter. Garrett Taylor moving on for his senior year. We certainly think Lamont Wade sticking around for for his final year of eligibility, but, you know, Jonathan Sutherland still has plenty to to prove in that spot, especially if you're talking about an expanded role. Same goes for Jaquan Brisker. Didn't see much of of Tyler Rudolph over the course of his freshman year. And uh, so unlike the cornerback spot where we saw some of those true freshmen, uh, you know, really making a dent in, in the rotation over the course of the season, I think safety, Sean, is one where, uh, you know, maybe this is a spot where a freshman c- could come in and a- make some noise. Uh, and-, and Enzo Jenning uh, at the high school level. We talk about Brown uh, coming in with two years of eligibility. Well, you've got a high schooler coming in who's pretty special. He's the last name we'll get to here, but he is uh, ranked third among all Penn State commits at this point, Second ranked defender behind only Curtis Jacobs.
0: He's really been a forgotten guy in this class. I mean, we don't talk nearly enough about Enzo Jennings, a very productive high school player at Oak Park in Michigan, which is a, a program that has put out some some very talented players and a ton of prospects. So uh, we'll see where it goes with that. He's got the flexibility if they do need him at corner, which I don't really expect him to 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 get there. Maybe maybe you throw him at corner. Um, you throw him at corner in the spring to get some coverage uh, experience, which is what they've done with players in the past. Then eventually move him to safety. I'm not sure that he's an early impact guy. He's a guy that still needs to put on some weight, get a little bit stronger. Uh, We saw, you know, I think he's kind of similar to Tyler Rudolph in that aspect. Tyler Rudolph looked ready to go um, when he was with his peers in high school. And then all of a sudden you take that jump to the next level and it kind of changes some things. So don't know that Jennings is a a guy that steps in right away and, and competes for a starting job or anything like that. But he's got length in the background and, excuse me, length in that defensive backfield. He can run around back there. Um, I think he's a really good prospect and a guy that we probably forget about in this class.
1: It's, it's going to be interesting to see how those things mesh between safety and cornerback because it feels like because of the experience they have, because of what the two deep looks like, even the three deep, certainly seems like cornerback rooms a little bit more bountiful right now when you project it towards 2020 than what you've got at safety depth. Based on those known commodities, of course, uh, Tyler Rudolph could prove to be a very good player as a breakout season when he gets the opportunity. We just don't know that yet. I think they're a little more definability when you talk about the cornerback room versus safety room. Could we see a position switch from someone? I don't know, but it, it's an interesting thing to keep tabs on. Not a huge defensive back class at this point as Penn State's, uh, gonna sign this group on Wednesday. Uh, full coverage of signing day is online. 24 247.com. Sean has his, uh, class superlatives up, uh, you know, and, and at really good. I'd suggest checking that one out. Um, And Sean, at the risk of of, of giving you more work, there is a great VIP thread up uh, that that Sean is responding to uh, inquiries about this recruiting class. And uh, and I'd imagine a few other topics as well along the way. But, uh, you know, Sean's always the go to for, for those kind of things. So if you're a VIP member, you probably already know this. And if you're not, well, then it's time to jump on board. Sean, before we get. Uh, to signing day mode and, and we're already there. We've been there. Uh, just a few notes to go through. Micah Parsons. Stop. You've heard this one before. First team All-American, according to ESPN and the Associated Press. Both of those outlets uh, announcing their All-American teams on Monday. And, and we're now in a territory now where this is a consensus All-American kind of situation first team consensus really I, I mean I, I don't know how that all gets parsed and and what rank and and what first teams mattered and which all-American teams people ignore but they're starting to rack up and he's been on a lot of first team all-American teams uh and, and again it's just it's it's just kind of breathtaking that that he's already viewed in this kind of light nationally I think it's surprising for a lot of us who cover this team day to day to day I mean we know what he's about we all cover his recruitment but to see him getting this kind of recognition at a at a college football wide level has been really you know an early an early surprise of the of the post experience for me
0: yeah it's big for the program as well to throw these out there every day uh to say that you know they've got they can compete and have those those all american level guys a uh, second team by cbs sports in the sporting news today as well so don't think he's going to get that consensus but uh yeah for being where he's at for I, I think when we talk about Micah Parsons, you talk about, of course, he came in with the reputation that he did, uh, phenomenally talented. Everybody expected him to be an All American, and now he's an All American. I think that says uh, good things for the development for the staff that they can throw out there. Um, Micah, of course, is, uh, I, in my opinion, still just scratching the surface of what he can be. I do think that you know you're going to be you're going to hear a lot of first round talk about him um, in the next draft as well. So. I mean, it, it, it's been it's been really cool to watch, and and like you mentioned, I mean, we see so much of this team sometimes that maybe you don't think about him as a, as one of the top three linebackers in the country. But when you talk to other people around the country, I mean, this is a guy that uh, has really turned heads. He's really got people that uh, excuse me, he's really got people that uh, you know. Uh, just think incredibly highly of his talent. I think it's a good thing for Penn State. It's a good thing for the way that they've been able to develop develop. And it's a really good thing for 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 James Franklin and Brent Pryde because, you know, also with that reputation of Micah Parsons being a tremendous football player, he had that reputation of being a potential trouble spot for a program. So far that hasn't been the case.
1: Yeah, and wow, the plan has come together very quickly for Micah Parsons. Just think about two years ago where he was, you know, wrestling with the decision. Would he re-enter Penn State's recruiting class? Would he head out of Pennsylvania, maybe head off to the SEC? and. Um, It took a while for him to get to the finish line and and, and determine what he wanted to do with his college career, but it couldn't have worked out much better for him so far. Although he'll tell you he wants to be a national champion, a Big Ten champion, and and those are all the things he's going to have in in, in his crosshairs next year, as well as the abundant individual accolades that should be available for him as a junior. Uh, we're going to have Bull Media Day on Friday, so we'll get a chance to, to check in with a lot of players, hopefully get some uh, updates. I certainly think we're going to have uh, some questions fired away uh, to K- guys like KJ Hamler, Shaka Tony regarding their draft status, uh, guys who are eligible for the draft who have not yet announced where they're leaning one way or another. Uh, we may not find out some of this until after the bowl game. So, uh, we'll be out there though, uh, for bull media day, Sean. Also, I know a lot of our listeners are are probably wondering if there's anything out there that you'd be willing to share, uh, off the coordinator search, it has been very quiet. Uh, I'm sure there are a very few people who actually know where the thing is moving and, and who's certainly right in the mix. Um, but as of now, uh, you know, they're a week into this thing and, and they have not filled the position. We do not know who will be calling the plays in the Cotton Bowl yet. Uh, but, you know, it's it's it remains a storyline and it's something that a lot of people are focused in on as, as coaching staffs are you know, getting shuffled across the country right now.
0: Yeah, we got flight tracking threads. We've got, uh, you know, <laughs> where is James Franklin at all times? I mean, and this is this is a, a, a search committee. I don't want to say a search committee of one, but it's close. Uh, James Franklin handling all that stuff and that's the way he does with these things. And he's been pretty successful with it. So, not a ton of leaks uh, when you're going from a circle of one, uh, but uh, yeah, we're, we, you know it's one of those things. You, I, you don't need to have somebody in place by today, which of course would be National Signing Day. We'll see if that stretches out. You know, you've got uh, NFL teams finishing up, you've got college teams in, in bowl games and playoffs and things like that. So we'll see which direction that that heads. Then you've got the uh, coaches' convention in early January in Nashville, which is typically a spot where you see interviews take place. You know, as guys uh, go to fill out staff. So uh, really quiet on that front not really a tremendous surprise. Um, we're talking about what we're hearing uh, on Lions 24-7, so I do suggest you check that out because uh, any snippet of, of red meat that comes available, people hop all over it, and we're trying to do what we can just to, uh, to, to appease the masses, I guess.
1: One more note before we get out of here, Sean. We spent a ton of time last fall talking about Saquon Barkley, what he accomplished uh, in his first NFL campaign. I I feel like we got to give Miles Sanders a little bit of love on the show today. Certainly not going to match Saquon Barkley's productivity, and and he's not going to be the NFL Rookie of the Year this year. But on Sunday against your Washington squad, he set a Philadelphia Eagles rookie record for Rushing yards in a single season uh, and all-purpose yards in a single season, uh, topping Lashawn McCoy and Deshaun Jackson, respectively, in those stats. The Eagles have been around since 1933, so that's a lot of rookie running backs who have had their chance to to establish uh, a, a positive marks with the Eagles. And you know, Miles Sanders, a guy who very clearly felt confident, and he was ready to take the next step. He's in the NFL now. He was the second running back off the board, and he's very much showing he he belongs. And hey, he's in the thick of a playoff race. Say what you will about the nfc east but uh he's an important figure in in the nfc uh you know postseason chase right now so i figured i'd throw that out there too that's not just because he was against your your squad but uh, I, i think miles sanders is a guy that um you know don't look now but he's coming on strong
0: I was going to say, I have plenty of things to say about the NFC East, (laughs) but we're not going to do that because we're a family podcast. Uh, But no, it's, uh, it's been really cool to see miles. And uh, you know, I don't watch a ton of, uh, of Eagles games uh, by choice, but there's something different when he's out there and you take, take a look at the backs that they have and they've got some guys that have been productive in the NFL, but miles is just at a different level. I was playing against my Redskins so that you can put anybody at a different level. Um, But at the same time, he's, he's been phenomenal. Um, Don't think he's going to win the offensive rookie of the year, Um, uh, but he's going to be close, and he's going to be involved in there. Also, coincidentally, not sure that he had the best week of of, of Penn State running backs or former Penn State running backs. How about Nick Yuri, man? I mean, he's uh, the former, I guess now former Penn State running back, uh, walk on, of course, kind of a cult hero. Uh, scored earlier in the year against Idaho. Um, you know, he got his scholarship uh, awarded to him to close the the banquet the other night, uh, the Penn State football banquet. Uh, couldn't happen to a to a better guy, and you've seen some of his teammates and former teammates that have uh, applauded him and and said that he fully deserves it. So we're really happy for Nick Yuri. Uh, that scholarship means that his, his fall and this upcoming spring are covered. Um, he was announced with the seniors. I don't, uh, I don't know that any headway has been made on him coming back for next year, or if this was just a ploy by James Franklin to get him back for next year, which is a joke, people. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really great when you see something like that happen. Yuri, if you take a look at the comments from from Miles Sanders, from Michael Mennett, guys that have reached out, uh, you know, via Twitter, certainly deserves it. And it's always one of the coolest parts. We get so cynical about following college football. That's one of the coolest parts about it, no doubt.
1: Uh, yeah, member of the long, long boys and, and getting his due. And man, I'll tell you what, it was fun to watch him run, uh, the way he was able to against Idaho. It's, I'm sure that's a moment he will never, ever, ever forget. And, and just as at the banquet, getting this scholarship, uh, by the way, at that banquet, the Uri thing was the coolest thing to come out of here. Uh, a couple of notes, though. Uh, most valuable player, the team giving that to KJ Hamler. Uh, offensive MVP going to Pat Fryermuth. Defensive MVP to Micah Parsons. I think that's going to do it for us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We will come at you with a second episode later this week. As I said, we plan on having some guests. You're going to hear from some coaches. We'll give you some more feedback. And if there are any surprises um, on National Signing Day, we'll have you covered on that. For now, turn your attention to Lions 24-7, and we'll have a ton of content coming here way as you get to know these newest Nittany Lions on Wednesday and into the week and and then it's Cotton Bowl time all of a sudden so a lot going on in Happy Valley we'll talk to you soon, Uh, wishing you all a great gear up for your Christmas season, I got some shopping to do, talk to you soon Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here, you might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on It's called The Rest Is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest Is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.